maybe the challenge is this is this letting go actually letting go of all the stuff that we might be attached to but which isn't actually the real thing and it is hard because you're brought up to think that that's the stuff and you're attached to it for a good reason that's you know cultures matter you know your place matters all sorts of stuff so hello and welcome to why are we talking about rabbits that's this podcast that aimed at folks like i don't know you or maybe i don't know your uncle or neo in the matrix you know when you feel a sense of dislocation that's this podcast come here and we'll talk about heavy stuff lightly we'll use history philosophy stuff like that and when we do it hopefully we'll abolish some of the internet rabbits that jump around and reproduce that actually just lead us down holes that don't actually go anywhere that's this podcast why are we talking about rabbits today we talked to paul king's north a writer a very accomplished writer from england an ecologist a guy who chained himself to stuff while he was protesting against the destruction of nature an excellent author and a very interesting human being on a journey on water so paul kings north how are you thanks for coming on water yeah very good thanks thanks for inviting me um i could go with a little bit of a of a bio but i i kind of want you to tell folks but first of all here's a few things in your bio that made me really happy i just want to share them uh don't get mad at me i took it off of wikipedia i hope that's okay it may uh, or may not be accurate first in his family to go to college something like that mm-hmm. that happened um paul's a writer and then for us Americans here, the Royal Grammar School, which something tells me it's less less highfalutin than it sounds. Yeah, it sounds very good. I think that means it's got a royal charter or something, but it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't one of the super posh schools or anything. You didn't have to pay to go there. It's lucky <laughs> you couldn't have afforded it. And then you do end up in Oxford. We'll talk maybe something about that. Then there's a phrase in your most excellent bio about chaining yourself to a bridge. I've chained myself to quite a few things, yeah, but I did a long time ago. I mean, I, I've been living off this for about 30 years, but yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was an activist when I was in my 20s for quite a while. Uh, and then, who said this? This Somebody said that you're Britain's top 10 troublemaker? Yeah, again, about 20 years ago. Um, I don't know if I still count. That was uh, Zach Goldsmith, who used to be um, editor of The Ecologist magazine, yeah, that I, that I worked for for a while. Great, great. And then this is pretty cool because this is 220. Someone is saying, a guy named Eris Rosinus, I don't know him, that you're one of English, if not English's greatest living writer, which is pretty neat. Did he you did. Him, I don't even know him and I didn't pay him either. So that was, I was quite pleased with that. It's very nice. <laughs> so here's, here's what I think. I found you talking about your life as a writer. Um, and your life as a writer coming into the Orthodox tradition this year. Yeah, by the way, that's the funniest part. There's this magnificent, oh, it's really quite, quite the interesting bio that ends with, oh, and he was baptized in the Romanian Orthodox Church. <laughs> that's how it ends. Like an aside, yeah. Tell us about, tell us about that maybe to start with. Um, uh, our work involves working with Orthodox folks. We're not really missionaries, but that journey is interesting how did it end in the romanian church 
Yeah, well, it's as much a surprise to me as it is to Wikipedia, really. Um, whoever writes it, um, it, it's a fairly, it's, it's a, I suppose it's a long story, and then it's also a short one. I mean, for most of my life, I've been a writer since I was twenty. I was an environmental activist for a long time. Um, I started by when I was younger as somebody who had a great love of the natural world and wanted to stop it being destroyed, which it is everywhere. Um, and of course, when you start doing that, you start asking why it's being destroyed. And then you start thinking about human culture and civilization and right. values and all of the big stuff. So you spend a long, long time doing that. I spent a lot of time writing about that. And I still do really. Um, and I, I suppose I realized about a decade ago that that was, I'm very slow on these things. I realized a decade ago that that's actually an enormous, that's a spiritual question, really. It's probably the spiritual question. Why, what's this relationship we've got with this place we're in? Mm -hmm. And what is it that's making us destroy it as well as each other, which we do so well? Um, it's not, I think you probably start, you start with that question thinking it's a political question or maybe an economic question. And then you realize those are manifestations of something deeper in us right. and the cultures we've built. And then you start thinking, well, what are the cultures we've built then? And what are the values here? What are they based on? And that's a spiritual question. And then you start thinking, this is this is bigger than I thought. I'm not going to be able to solve this just by getting rid of fossil fuels. This is some, this is a big deal. So, I mean, I, 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 I've been spending the last 10 years, as, as Western people do, on a kind of spiritual search, going through a kind of merry-go-round of, of, of traditions and ideas. I was a Zen Buddhist for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. which is very useful to me. Um, I, was a, I was a Wiccan. I was a, a witch priest for a while. Uh, I've been studying mythology. I've spent four days camping in the woods with no food on vision quests. I've done all sorts of things. So the process of transforming, mm. mine came through this work of living in a, 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 Mali, a, a Muslim mud hut and just smacked with culture and then goodness. So I couldn't dismiss people mm. and they were staring at me and I was living in a mud hut and I was there for two years and I couldn't dismiss the differences. What do you remember the mechanism for movement or transformation? Was it, were you sitting and thinking? Was it a, someone in your face? Did you see a monk walk by? Do you remember how it starts or what it actually looks like? In terms of becoming Christian, yeah, moving from right, moving from one worldview to another, and then ultimately to Orthodox Christianity. Well, the funny right. thing is that it, in some ways it feels like it's quite. I mean, there have been moments which have been very, very clearly kind of cool. Uh, they felt like to me, um, but there's also been uh, just. I mean, intellectually, I, I I live in my head a lot being a writer, so I try to work out what the hell's going on. So I think and I read, and that's not enough obviously, but it gives you a good sense of what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of those people who has to be able to work things out intellectually. I'm also one of those people who realizes that that's not an adequate, um, that's not an adequate toolkit, sure. but it's like almost like, it's almost like building the foundations. So for, as I say, it's kind of asking the question of what's wrong with the world um, and what's wrong with us, which is the same question as Chesterton had, had it, you know, what's wrong with the world? I am. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of the point that you get to. But for me, it was, um, it was, as I say, looking through these other traditions, which didn't feel like they, you know, they had, they all had something to them, but there was also something missing. Um, and I realized that what that thing was, was God. And I felt very uncomfortable about that because I'd never been a Christian. And being brought up in the secular West, I think maybe this is a bit different in America to Britain. I don't know, but it's, Britain is a very secular place. It's embarrassing to be religious in public, um, unless you're from an ethnic minority and then you can get away with it, you know, but if you're, if you're a white English guy, um, you know, it's just, it's not something you talk about really. It's a, so it's, it's a very, very, it's a very interesting situation. 
Do the Brits talk to each other about that? Do- well, I think it might be a class thing as well. You know, if you're a sort of middle class person in Britain, it's just, it's just, it's very interestingly de 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 Christianized. In I mean, technically, Britain is still a Christian country, right? We have an established church, and there's lots of Christians around. But it's absolutely not in the public sphere at all. The politicians won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Prime Minister of Britain at the moment is a Catholic, um, and hasn't been a Catholic Prime Minister probably ever. Um, but he doesn't mention it really. Um, they, they, everyone plays it down like it's a sort of embarrassing thing. You do in like your Joe Biden, similar. Yeah, well, it's the sort of thing you do in your spare time, you know. But it doesn't really affect you. Is there a bitterness? It popped out in our politics as bitterness. This this inability to talk about something in public is becoming a, a, a bitterness. It doesn't feel like that to me. It doesn't feel like that to me. I mean, America to me looks like a country that has, you know, it's still religion right at the heart of things in a way. Um, oh. Whereas in Britain, it's like we just don't really care, actually. <laughs> it's oh. like that's something that people do somewhere else or it's something that our Muslims can do because they're Muslims and it's different for them somehow. But, you know, actually, it's a, it's a very, very strange situation. So... It's not like if you if you're looking for God in Britain, it's certainly where I came from anyway, because there's lots of different parts of Britain. It's it's for me anyway. I just didn't even think of looking in Christianity, even though it's the ancestral faith of the country. You know, the one that the values are all built on and everything didn't occur to me to look to it. Is that why is that why it doesn't occur to you, maybe because it is too close because that happens in the states too yeah i think so i think that the the whole i think honestly the whole of western culture at the moment is in rebellion against itself yeah I agree. Um, and yeah. what that really means is that it's in rebellion against christianity and the more i think about it the more i think that what the whole culture war and the whole woke moment and the whole kind of uh, this huge rejection especially by the elites of everything that their ancestors have ever been is really a, re- a rejection of Christianity. And it's, it's you know, partly based on bad stuff that's happened, which is real, but it's also, it's something bigger than that, actually. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting cultural thing that is happening, that we're just almost inverting everything that we used to be. Do you wonder if the inversion is a type of signpost for all the, the darkest? So you hear around the world, people talk about Antichrist, things moving toward the end. Is the inversion... a do you feel like that's the thing that's coming because of what you're seeing in culture or is it who knows right that's the way well basically yeah i mean i'm always a bit careful with this stuff because obviously people have been expecting a antichrist to turn off two thousand years so it's generally not good to make predictions (laughs) let's not join the club (laughs) let's not get into the book of revelation too much you know um interesting though is i mean who knows we just have no idea do we so what's going on we don't know but western culture is in rebellion against itself um, and we don't have, I mean, I, I've been writing about this quite a bit recently. It's the more I think about this, the more I think that a, if we're going to talk about culture at all, we're really talking about a, a group of people that has um, built something around a sacred center. Right. So anything that we look at anywhere in the world, in the past or in the present, every culture, society, civilization, from the smallest tribe to the biggest empire has had something sacred at its heart, right? It doesn't have to be a Christian thing, obviously, it could be. You know, obviously that's true in the Muslim world. It's true in India. It's true for the smallest tribe which worships its ancestors. Um, there's got to be something which is above us that we build ourselves around, right. some sense of the divine, some way that we have of accessing the divine. If you dethrone that, which is what we've done, we've got rid of Christ, then what you've got is you've got an empty throne at the heart of your culture and something will come and sit on it. This is the best way I have for understanding this. So if we in the West have dethroned Christ, thrown out Christianity, said that's the thing that we don't want anymore. The story we told ourselves was that that would be replaced by 
reason and liberalism, right? So we'd have right. we'd have reason debate and we'd use evidence and it would all be empirical. It sort of looked like that was happening for a while, but now it really fundamentally doesn't. Now it looks like lots of dark things are rushing into that void. Everything's trying to sit on the throne. Because mm-hmm. I don't think a culture can have an empty throne at the heart of it. So you're going to you're going to you're going to enthrone something. We've enthroned mammon, basically. We we dethroned God and we enthroned mammon and we have a big golden golden calf with the words economic growth written on the top. That's right. But that's not good enough. Well, that's not that's not a god. That's a false god. And we want, you know, I don't think humans can live very long without a culture that to some in some way has the divine at the center. That's the conclusion I've come to after many years of going through atheism and agnosticism and every other little path I could come to. And and eventually, as as I say, that brought me to Christianity against sort of against my will, a bit like C.S. Lewis. I felt like I was dragged kicking and screaming, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, leave me alone, God. I don't want to anything. I don't want anything to do with you. But that's not how it works. Um, eventually, I got shepherded. Um, and, and interestingly to me, when I found orthodoxy, which I did through various friends that were orthodox and discovering, perhaps not coincidentally, that the first orthodox monastery in Ireland ever was opened in the last six months or so very near my house and so I went along to see and I started reading books people recommended me and the more I looked into the Athenite tradition especially and the mystical Mm -hmm. tradition I thought bloody hell this I didn't know Christianity was like this this isn't the Christianity I was taught at school which was kind of a moral template really this is this is the real thing this is and, and the story and the story of Christianity the story of the fall and the story of the way that humans reject God and rebel against God and creation is a perfect fit with everything I've seen for my whole life. So it didn't feel to me like going into orthodoxy was an enormous shift in worldview, funnily enough. I mean, obviously, in one sense, it is because it is Christ and you accept that that story is true. So in that sense, it's a huge shift. But actually, the the, the story that Christianity tells, the ancient Christianity tells about humans' relationship with God and the divine, which is also creation as well, seems to affirm the way I see society behaving in the way i see people behaving. it's in alignment with reality it's in alignment with reality so i look at the story of the fall where we were once in communion and we chose we chose power over humility we chose the self over over communion we chose to rebel against god because we thought we could do it better and i look around me at the the state of the world and the changing climate and the attempt to build artificial intelligences and i think well that that looks like it's still going on Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you know what's the way back to the to the garden? What's the way back to to paradise? It's it's through the cross. It's humility. It's self sacrifice. It's losing the ego. It's communion with everybody else. It's all the really hard stuff that none of us want to do. Um, and that's again obviously true. What happened to your world as 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 your previous life and worldview? what I like to call the lig, the ligaments that held you together, your old religion, as it became unmoored or started to disintegrate. Did you lose relationships, human relationships? Did they start to think you're kind of nutty or you're lo- maybe you're not being a good zealot? What happened? Well, it's funny, really, because I mean, I, I, I suppose I've gone through a number of religions if I look at it like that. I mean, it was environmentalism for a long time. Right. And environmentalism is a religion, not in the crude sense that some people say it is sometimes but it's you know it's a it's a group of very well-meaning people who really want to protect what we would call creation you know they want to protect nature from being destroyed which they should and there is a sense of the sacred at the heart of that which there should be actually and that's how i always saw things i would look at the world and i would say this is a sacred place and now i see that as a manifestation of the creator 
I didn't quite see it like that then. I don't think, although I wasn't against that idea either. Right. I didn't really, I didn't really know what I meant, but it was very clear to me that if I look at an old growth forest, there's something very holy in that. I mean, yeah. literally, the word holy comes from the old English word holy, which means whole. You know, it's whole, it's unified. And then when a group of humans move into it with chainsaws, there's something deeply sacrilegious going on there. Yeah. And yeah. again, you can't explain it, but you know what? What sort of society does that? You can see that's wrong. You can feel that's wrong. Right. And that's what motivates people to want to protect the natural world, really. And so there's a, there's a sort of religious or at least a spiritual heart to that. Yeah. And, and for me, when I look back, I've always been, I've always had a religious sensibility. It's just never found a home. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I look at it now. And I was, I was sort of stumbling around trying to find a home for this. Not a home in the sense that I would have everything explained to me because Christianity doesn't explain everything. It's still, you know, right. you're, you're still right. living in the world. But just I a sense of um yeah as john moriarty the irish philosopher put it i was looking for a prayer that was big enough to hold me it's a really yeah. good way of putting it you know yeah. it's like what story could possibly encompass what the hell is going on here yeah and this to is my, to my great surprise it turned out to be this is be this is it this is it i was I, i'm a dostoevsky uh, guy and he says yeah i know i get it i get it i i know it sounds weird there was a god he was resurrected it was crazy mm. but just trust me it's the most beautiful story so i'm sticking with the beauty it 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 holds me it it doesn't it is the thing that animates me you won't tell me a better story so i may be wrong but mm. you don't understand this this is how this is how my life must go and and he you know and while he writes about ugliness somehow there's beauty in all of it and that what's that's what attracted me i was reading him in those mud huts as a young guy and that's quite a mix. combination of good combination of influences that <laughs> yeah well <laughs> not the empty in a mud hut in a muslim country where, where do you go after that to orthodoxy because it's about the only thing that can hold it you know well dostoevsky is an interesting example of you know because he's, he's obviously writing during pre-revolutionary times as well so he can see the craziness of what happens when humans reject God and decide that they can create a better world? And, you know, he turned out to be right about that, given what happened in wow. Russia. No doubt. Um, you know, and that's exactly what he was warning against. After all, everything that happened after 1917, you know, the, uh, again, it's the ultimate it's the ultimate notion of, of let, let's rebel against God. We can build the whole thing ourselves. Every ideology think, is like that. Do you think that variant of babylon the 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 tower that variant of that bolshevik variant of total totalitarianism are you seeing it now in europe in different guys do you think that's happening well there's a lot of talk about this isn't there the way that the sort of the woke left is behaving at the moment is very redolent um it's very redolent of of that yes absolutely Mm -hmm. i mean it's a it's a very old strain in in Western thought. It goes back at least to the French Revolution. Yes, um, you know, and it's it is very much an attempt. If you look at what the they, the French Revolution and the American Revolution actually, because those two are very tied up with each other, and the American Revolution is a bit less ideological, but it's still this notion that we can we can dethrone, uh, we can dethrone the old sovereigns. Literally, we'll get rid of the kings. We'll have republics, and we'll dethrone uh, Christ and the God at the center of it, and reason will triumph. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, you can see why people would have that idea and you could see why they would want to dethrone certain kings given the behavior of kings. So the, the point of saying this is not that it was everything was terrific before and we should go back to the Middle Ages or whatever. It's just simply to say this, this is a, to me, this is a massive misunderstanding of how humans work and yeah. how the world works. You can't have a society without the divine in it. Right. Uh, whatever political structure you have is almost a secondary question to that. 
it's it's the what what are you who what god do you serve that's the question right who do you serve if you don't serve the divine you're going to serve yourself chesterton said that and he had a great quote he said um it's not religion that's the opium of the people it's irreligion because the truth is that if people don't worship something above themselves they will worship the most powerful thing in the world which is true we all we all want to worship something we're (laughs) we're looking we're looking for something yeah we're looking for something we're looking for the truth we're looking for the power we're looking for the divine if we haven't got access to it or if our story tells us that it's not real anymore because we've got richard dawkins instead then we 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 worship ourselves we worship politics we worship reason we worship money we worship progress etc yeah i wonder as i think about capitalism as a type of um faith it's it's the commodity faith the faith of the it, yeah the, the faith of that which i can hold and so i think to peels that away to to peel the thing out of my hand my third car to peel my you know fourth home to peel this out of my hands is almost like peeling away my faith mm-hmm. and then what will i hold on to and so i see, i see that in the west but but not because it's bad people it, it's because it's people trained up in this I like to call it this ligamental world of their their life is their religion is or their worldview is held together by the notion of material reality without looking into the spiritual. So I wonder, like, as you sit down to try to figure out your books and things, I mean, you wrote a trilogy that's super interesting. It goes back, present and forward. Right. So and and thousands of years. Are are you trying to tell the story of, of civilization coming and going or what are you doing in those books that maybe relates in some way to your conversion or is that pre-conversion is it is it going along with your conversion what are those books telling us yeah it's a good question really Uh, the first book set during the norman conquest a thousand years ago and then as you say the second book set now the third book is set a thousand years in the future so i wasn't originally trying to write a trilogy but it came to that and when I look at it now, they are. It is. It's a religious trilogy in the loosest sense of the word. It's. It's about people's relationships to their place and their community and, and to God. Every single one of those books is about people searching for some relationship with, with the divine or with truth. Um, it's full of different arguments and perspectives on on all sides. How you find the divine through the natural world through the landscape is really the big question. In all of them in all of them actually, because that's what's preoccupied me for a long time. Um, how does the creator manifest in creation is is yeah. very interesting to me you know because he must but, do actually one of the things that happened to me while i was uh, in the process of accidentally becoming christian was uh, I, I just kept meeting christians everywhere all the time i mean this yeah. started going on i had a dream i had a dream of christ then some other things happened to me which were weird and then despite trying to ignore them i couldn't so and, and then suddenly there were christians everywhere they kept emailing me they get coming to me for writing lessons. They get sending things to me on Facebook. And I was going, well, where did all these Christians come from? What the hell is this? And there was one guy from Africa who I haven't heard from since. And I'd never heard from before. And he sent me a Facebook message. And he said, I had a dream. God told me to contact you because he wants you to become a Christian. And I said, what? And he said, listen, he said, if you want to know God, you have to read the book he wrote. He said, it's not the Bible. That's written by people. He said, it's nature. That's the book. He said that. Yeah. He said, if you want to know God, read the book this is the he book it's plugged into you yeah because wow. he'd read my he'd read my work and then he'd had a dream that god wanted me to be christian and then he emailed me out of the blue absolutely bizarre and stuff like this was happening all over the place and i thought okay against my better judgment i'm gonna have to shut up and listen at this point 
which is a thing writers are very bad at. We're not. We're, <laughs> we like you don't have to listen. We don't exactly. like to listen. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way to put it because, of course, if God creates the world and he sees that it's good six times, which is what we're told in Genesis, right? right. Then it's good. Then it's good. And interestingly, mm -hmm. the only thing that God creates in Genesis that he doesn't see is good is humans. The only right. thing he doesn't see right. them because we're not we're not done yet. We haven't we haven't made it. So so yeah, it's it makes a lot of sense to me that you would experience God at least to some degree through the through the creation itself, which right. is where you come back to that forest and the, the sacred notion of you know there's something deeply sacred mm -hmm. in, in creation itself. Which makes sense because God is incarnate. And then that incarnation, right? That incarnation is the tree. I mean, it's, of course, it's Christ and it's our, it's our human being, but the idea is platonic thought, right? The idea of the, of the tree exists beyond the tree itself, but there can't be a tree without something manifest. So it does feel like if you're in love with nature or, or better, maybe f fighting on behalf of nature, which it feels like you were doing, it does feel like somehow if you really wake up to that fight, you do end up having to recognize Christ as a type of a, a type of natural beauty. I mean, if there's a God and he made himself manifest, what is that? Like, that's kind of nuts on some level, right? Yeah, well, like you, like you said earlier, I mean, it's a, the story's bonkers. You know, it's the Christian story is bonkers, which is why if you, if you approach it in this slightly rational, secularist way, which a lot of Christianity in the West does, or certainly in Britain it does, you know, it's almost like, people are a bit embarrassed to talk about this. You do get this in the Church of England a lot, and you get it amongst sort of British and Western Protestants especially, but not just them. This sort of slight embarrassment about the actual meat of the story, right? The resurrection, the miracles, the virgin birth. I was an Episcopalian at Anglican. Right, yes, of course. I watched it. I watched it. So there's a lot of that. I mean, you know, notoriously in Britain for years, we've had bishops sort of arming and ahhing about whether the resurrection is a metaphor and all this sort of stuff. And you just think, what are you for? And I even remember when I was a sort of quite an anti-Christian atheist when I was younger, looking at these bishops and thinking, look, either have some self-respect and say what you believe in, or st you'd stop wasting everybody's time. If you, right. if you think that story's true, it's the most important thing that ever happened on earth, right? There's no doubt about that. So, and, and given that you're, you know, you've dedicated your whole life to it, you must have an opinion. <laughs> You're wearing robes. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if you think that story is true, and this would be true of a Muslim or anyone else, you know, if you think yeah. that if you're a Muslim and you think that, you know, God, Muhammad is the prophet and here's the holy book, there's nothing more important than that, right? That's, that supersedes everything. And it's the yeah. same with Christianity. If you if Christ is, is you know, as, as what St. Paul said, didn't he? If, if Christ isn't risen, then all of our work is a waste of time, he says, yeah, doesn't it? Right. At some he point, it's that. true. It all, it all comes down to that. So, yeah, as, as Dostoevsky says, you know, you, you choose whether to believe in that. Yeah, um, but it's a it's a it's a mad story. But so what? Um, that's even more reason why it's likely to be true, given the state of the world. But ultimately, you know, you can you can sort of argue about these things, but it, it happens in the heart, doesn't it? I mean, it certainly did for me. I wouldn't have reasoned myself into being a Christian. You know, that's not. That's well, this is this is the great problem is is if it is what you say it is and what we say it is. You, you're not going to argue anybody into, <laughs> into, no, the, into the baptismal font. It's not working. No, and you shouldn't, and you shouldn't even try because it's just nobody wants to be evangelized. It's horrible, right? And and <laughs> right. and especially again, there's something that, that C.S. Lewis said to me. He said, you know, it's 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 much harder to try and convince anyone in Europe today, say, of the of the truth of Christianity than it would have been for the first missionaries or or, or disciples to go and do it. 
because we're kind of inoculated against it. We've gone through it. We've come out the other end. We've seen we've seen Christendom do lots of terrible things as well. We've seen all sorts of hypocrisies and Mm -hmm. brutalities done in the name of Christianity. So we don't want to hear that story anymore. Sarah from Rose talks about that. There's there's a bridge that's crossed sort of out of this vitalism into this nihilism where you can't go back. It's people. I have a buddy who I love. He appears on here now and then. He sort of represents the new world for us. He's a, he's a beautiful guy. He's like, you don't understand. I can't believe. I, I'm not rejecting any. He's like, it all makes sense. Mm. And I can't. And you know, you've heard that. There's that angst, that modern angst. That's exactly what I thought for years, actually, funnily enough. I mean, I, uh, I always remember thinking, well, you know, because I read the Bible and stuff, as you do. I read the Gospels anyway. And I, I thought, well, this is good. I like yeah, everything he's saying. You know, this this makes sense. I wish I could believe it, but I can't. So I don't believe people can die and come back to life. Um, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, I like the teachings, but, you know, that's the past. And it's then- absolutely, it's a, it's a, it's a sense of... Um, I think Lewis again said actually Europe's going to have to become pagan again before it can become Christian again, which wow. was also also quite interesting, and that's what's happening. But now you have to do something weird, right, Paul? You if that's let's say that's true, which I think it fundamentally is. Postmodernism is some sort of paganism. But now watch this. Here's the nutty part. Then as a Christian, you really have to watch it go. Mm. You, you have to let it go on some level. In other words, I have to go read your book and be at peace with my life, those ideas, and then let it go. And it's very hard, especially in America right now, where the culture is intertwined with the politics. And that's a mistake. I think that's that's really profoundly true. And it's the hardest thing we have to do. Um, I remember reading a piece by David Bentley Hart a while back, who I always find very interesting about this. And he was talking about how different the early Christians were from us. Um, from our notion of what Christianity is. And he's saying, look, basically they were communists, right? I mean, not in the ideological sense, but they owed nothing. They shared everything. Right. They, they went barefoot like Christ told them to. Um, they were extremists. And we would regard them today as religious extremists in the for same sure. way that we might regard jihadis as religious extremists, right? For we would look sure, at these people sure. and we would say, look at these nutters walking around in their robes and their bare feet owning nothing <laughs> and telling us the world's about to end, right? These, these people are crazy. Um, they are not middle-class, you know, Americans with three cars going to church on Sunday or all, all British people. Right. So no. it's not, this is not comfortable. No. And, um, it's, um, there's, and he, he and, said, and the disclaimer, I have a car and disclaimer, yeah, I, have car I have a too. house and this is yeah. not judgment, right? That's the, no, I'm, the I'm including my, I'm including myself in this criticism of middle-class Christians, right? I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not, I'm not desert father. Here I am on the yeah. internet. Right. So we're all, we're all in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> true. I'd like to be, a, I'd like to be a desert father, but I'm not. So um, that's never going to happen. So, yeah, this is the point. So, And he, he had an interesting phrase. He said, it might be that the ruins of Christendom have to be cleared away before we can come to see Christ again. Wow. And I thought, yeah, look, so what, we, what happened in Europe is we built this thing called Christendom over a thousand years, all of its flaws and horrors and also beauties. And now it's gone. Um, and it's gone largely not because we were invaded and converted to another faith. It's gone because we just wandered off. Yeah. Right, we, we gave up on it in the West, really, yeah, and I think yeah. maybe that's not quite so true in America. Maybe because I think America is still a lot more Christian, but like you say, it's also a lot more politically Christian, which is a thing we don't quite have in the same way. Um, but the culture war is often, certainly amongst sort of conservative Christians, is often a lot of people. Sometimes I see this as people confusing culture and and God. Actually, yeah. you know, it's people saying, I really like Christendom. You know, I love our values. I like my yeah. sort of Western culture and I like the cathedrals and I like the hymns. And yeah, I like them too, but that's not 
actually Christ. That's not God. That's not what was. That's what was built around that sh- around that sacred figure. It's a heresy, actually. It, well, it becomes idol worship if you're not careful, because right. I think Christopher Lash wrote something about that. He said, you know, if you, you confuse God with culture, you have to remember that the only the only item, the, the only acceptable thing to worship is God. I mean, this is what Christ tells you all the time. It's the fundamental mm. Christian claim, right? Everything else is an idol. So you can turn your church into an idol. You can turn your nation into an idol, your culture into an idol. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. That's what a lot of the culture war is. So you get a lot of conservative Christian people who think, because they still feel so vulnerable because they're being attacked by the woke all the time. And they're, you know, the left are coming in and basically systematically trying to demolish the basis of the whole culture. Cause that's what they're up to. We can right. see that. Right. So if you like the culture, you can get very defensive and then you get this, yeah, you get this mad situation of seeing a guy outside the Capitol building in America with a cross in one hand and a Trump flag in the other <laughs> thinking. Then what do you do with that? What do you do with that? I don't know, but it's still plainly, obviously not Christianity, but it, you know, it comes from a place of, of fear. And actually that place of fear is, I think about this a lot because I can feel it too. You can arrive at that place of fear very easily. If you, if you confuse God and culture and the yeah. only thing you can do is let it go. Like you say, you have yeah. to actually, you have to say, we have to let that cultural formulation go because that was then, and that wasn't the point. That doesn't mean you have to give in to whatever. No, the left right. 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 You don't have to accept whatever the, the the left are throwing at you. You just have to simply say, "Well, you know, this is the point at which you may. I don't know. Maybe you just you just get back to the basics of." of yeah, it feels like the ascetic impulse to me. It feels like yeah, it is. I'm being I'm being asked to take that bullet or whatever it is that I am holding on to. Mm. The other thing I'm always fascinated with is now you might not well you're you know dummy you you know america america definitely has in the last 50 years infused their the the evangelicalism with politics that's not a debate it's easy to prove we don't have to but when they did that the 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 problem is is they actually denuded christianity they taught a Christianity that now none of these 20-somethings want to follow. But but for me, as Orthodox, this is the hardest part, which is what's going to get thrown out? I, I want to throw out some of that, but what else is going to get thrown out? <laughs> because th- there is some fear in what's coming, and that's when I hear you know the, the classic American evangelical. When they're afraid, I'm also often afraid with them. Mm. And, and it's not that I'm right or wrong or they're right or wrong. It's that that fear draws me into a certain type of activity that I actually don't want to be in. I want to be the ascetic who sits still, but it's hard. It's hard. No, I completely recognize that. It's very interesting. Um, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you asked me earlier if I'd had sort of pushback or people losing friendships or anything from becoming Christian. I mean, I haven't in my personal life. There were certainly some close family members who thought it was a bit weird for a while. Um, I've, uh, you know, no the good thing about being a writer is that I can, I can explain myself better in writing than I can by talking. So when I'd written a couple of articles explaining my journey, they came around and they said, "Oh, I see. I, I got it. I see where you're going now." Oh, really? And, you know, they still might think it's a bit odd, but I haven't lost any friends. But you know, it's, interestingly enough, I've had readers coming to me quite angrily and saying, "I can't believe you've become a Christian. This is disgusting. I'm never reading you again." And I particularly had that from a few Americans um, who have been who just said, "Don't you understand what Christianity is? A really poisonous, damaging religion." Well, I see. You know, and I've had conversations with some of them and almost to a man or a woman, they've been brought up in these really very right wing evangelical households. Mm -hmm. And they've had this kind of 
brutal version of Christianity shoved at them. And that's their experience of it, right? Mm-hmm. So they hear someone like me becoming a Christian and they go, oh, right, you've become one of those people. Those, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know much about American evangelicalism or anything. I don't want to, I don't want to generalize, but there's obviously, you know, there is that highly political, highly judgmental form of, of, of the religion, which is, is and it's, it's hardly just an American phenomenon either, you know. I mean, yeah. we probably invented it, to be fair. Yeah, I think you guys did. On one level, invented it, but we sent it over to you. So no <laughs> enjoy yourself. Historically, I'm I'm blaming that one on you. But yeah, you know what's really enough. interesting? This, you know, what saves me as a. We could get into this too in terms of identity, but as a in part a white man, mm. whatever that is. I mean, I'll own whatever that is and all that privilege. But you know what? When I hide out in orthodoxy. When I say to someone, when I sound like a white guy who's privileged and I'm saying something political, like, you know, maybe COVID's, we should relook at COVID or something. Mm. And then they come at you as a Christian white man. I can go to orthodoxy like you and say, well, Romanian Orthodox, what do you think of that? And I can almost pimp out <laughs> the weird East, like the the Eastern brown people <laughs> on my behalf and say, well, you know, there's this whole tradition that you don't even know about. And then suddenly, like their fangs go away. It's mm. really weird. It's like, oh, that's weird. I'll leave you alone until I know more about that weirdness that you're participating in. Does that happen to you? Yes. Well, I mean, it's different. Like I say, it's different for me. We don't have that politicized Christianity over here, so I don't get those. Oh, I don't I get see. those things. I mean, I might do with people on the internet or something, but certainly not in the community. I mean, Irish Ireland is very Catholic, even now. Right. Even though the Irish are retreating from the church, there's no. You don't feel like there's a massive hostility to it. Some people just don't like it and they've wandered off. But it's still, it's quite a gentle kind of uh, Christianity in a way. And like I say, the British, yeah, there are some people in Britain who are quite hostile to religion, but it's not. Most people aren't bothered, really. They just yeah. might think you're weird. So yeah. you don't get that sort of... The culture war is definitely happening in Britain. It's not really happening in Ireland. But it isn't really tied up with religion in the same way um, mm-hmm. because we're not such a Christian culture. Um, because, as I say, we sent you all the Puritans. So we, <laughs> we got rid of them no all doubt. 300 years ago, which no is very doubt. wise. No um, so we don't really have that. Uh, there are little subsections of religious uh, life, but it's not inf- infused in the culture, which I'm very grateful for, actually, I have to say, you know, because yeah. it makes... It's that religion and politics being tied up is so poisonous. One of the things I like about the Orthodox Church, especially the Romanian Church, is this is absolutely no politics at all. Yeah, that's right. And even if there were, it would be Romanian politics, and I would know nothing about it. But it's not, you know, there's, it's a, you go into a church and it's a church. There's no, the priest has no personal opinions. There's no politics. There's no ideology. It's just, you know, this, this is your spiritual hospital and this is what you've come here for. Yeah. And that's exactly why, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere that would attempt to, I, I want to be in yeah i want to be in the place that's not the world you know well, that's the point well it's passing away we know this well we exactly so yeah and i to come back to what you said it's quite interesting the culture war can make you really defensive exactly um and i feel the same thing you know you feel like you're being personally attacked which you usually are mm-hmm. right as uh, and and so that can push you into a kind of if you're not careful you can get into this bitter reactionary kind of position Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the danger there. But I, I kind of think the more I think about that, the more I see myself doing that sometimes, I think, okay, well, this must be, this is the spiritual test, isn't it, right? This is this is where we, we this is where we get tested. What are you going to do when this all comes right. at you? you know? That's right. Well, and it's so many Christians before and people from all over the world who aren't Christian as well have had to live through cultural collapses and, and you know, including the early Christians living through the end of Rome and all sorts of things. So that's probably what tests you, you know, 
And again, you know, the early Christians would say, well, this is what you want. You want to test yourself. You want to be in a time of collapse. This is the thing. You don't want to be in a comfortable middle-class time. You're su- <laughs> you want to put Isn't yourself through it. Isn't that crazy? Get martyred. Go on, get martyred. It's, I mean, those guys were, it was just a different my spirit set, not a mindset. I'm not there, but people are there. And and may may they have a role in all of this. But let, let me ask you this, because in your first things piece, I think like, like what I've read of your trilogy, there, there's like a deep, a willingness to be vulnerable. And I, I attribute that to a type of um, humility. So it's really hard to field the question on humility because then you ruin it. But, but <laughs> <laughs> how does it get in there? What's the role of humility or meekness or vulnerability in your work? And then how does that help you uh, manage the world we're in right now where it doesn't seem that's a very valued uh, event in people's life, humility. Yeah, well, it's the key to everything, isn't it? Um, and I'm, I should say I, I'm not good at it, by the way. Um, I mean, I'm good at it in my writing, but actually in life, I'm not at all remotely meek or humble in the way that I should be. I think that's all the struggle, you know, if you could get to the point where you were actually genuinely humble in your heart, then that's what the saints are. That's where you get to the point where you've let go of all of your attachments and your worldliness and your ego and that's where you get to the point where you're back in back in union with God or approaching it anyway as much yeah. as you can be in this life. And that's when you read about the great saints of Athos and they're surrounded by the uncreated light and they love everybody and yeah. they'll put up with anything because they've got to that point of just being so humble that they're almost not there. They're just vessels, you know, yeah. they're vessels, which is what we're this is what we're supposed to aim for, isn't it? We're supposed to aim to become saints, which is never going to yeah. happen to me. But you know, it's good to have an aspiration. But it has to be, you know, this is one of the things I, I found with um one of the things I, I find all the time is when, whenever I'm tempted to be right about things, which I am a lot, being an opinionated man, I, I try and remember that humility is the thing we're supposed to be doing. And just to try, if you can even use that to, for, for a moment to, to, to look at where the other person's come from, mm-hmm. look at the angry, woke person shouting at you, and instead of getting angry with them, say, well, okay, what are they seeing when they look at me? Yeah, that's you know? right. That's you know, right. What are they saying when they look at me? What am I seeing when I look at them? What, where did this come from? Why is everybody so broken? I mean, I find that a really useful question, actually. Why is everybody so damn broken at the moment? Yes. You know, we're yeah. all broken, and some people more than others, and younger people more than us, people yes. of our generation as well. They've yeah. got, they haven't been given any guidance. They've got a culture that's falling apart. They're growing up on the internet. Yeah. They're probably not going to get a job. What are their kids going to inherit? No wonder people are broken, you know, and you've got these young, angry people running around. They're, they're, they're absolutely, they're, you know they can be sucked up by any ideology at this point that will explain mm-hmm. to them what's wrong mm-hmm. and that's what's going on so it's like trying to see you know how we're supposed to see god in everyone which is like really hard to do it mm-hmm. especially when someone hates you <laughs> you have to try and do it and it's uh, and again this is what i mean when coming back to the idea that that this coming to christianity felt like it was almost coming home rather than being a huge break because it's always been clear to me say ecologically in terms of our relationship with nature, that humility is the key to this. It's not yeah. new technology or sustainability that's going to save us. It's having a humble relationship with the rest of creation, right. not taking more than you need, not treating it as a resource that you can just ravage so that you can have three houses. You know, that's just that's just sacrilegious. That's just abuse. That's woe unto you who are rich, you know. Yeah. But you have this writing career and and you know, if it's like America anyway, and, and that this this part of the world's PR game and everything, you must find yourself having to kind of navigate a secular world in a, in the writing profession. 
How's that going for you? Well, I feel like I'm retreating further and further from the secular world all the time. I've kind of been doing that for years. I mean, literally physically, because I live on a little farm in the middle of Ireland. But but also, you know, I've, um, I don't know, I, I feel quite alienated from sort of mainstream publishing and, and the journalistic. I mean, everyone's very friendly to me. I still get published by, you know, bigger publishers and things. So it's not like I've been cancelled or anything. It's all fine. But I just feel like it's harder and harder for me all the time to kind of speak to that mainstream sort of secular world. And I don't know whether that's good or not. But I feel like I find myself sort of retreating into, well, I find myself just writing what I need to write and then seeing where I can place it really, rather than thinking I'm a writer and I must write something that, you know, society will approve of. I mean, I've just got to the point where I can, I think, well, I mean, I've written 10 books. Do I need to write any more? The world's got so many books in it anyway. If I'm going to write something, it has to have some meaning. So I just have to write what I have to write now. Um, But interestingly to me, the stuff that I've, written on the margins in the past has been the stuff that's the most popular well i think people, so. people are just in people are just looking for something well something authentic but also something that attempts to explain what the hell's going on which is what i'm trying to do and uh, i don't know if it's right but people a lot of my writing is just an exploration i think actually and because so many other people are exploring what's going on sometimes they find that useful and that's well, the joy of the postmodern world right well, it's like you're looking, everyone's looking for truth. Um, and a lot of people don't think it exists, which I didn't for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, just think you can make your own up. Um, and then that's, again, I think that's, that's very Dostoevsky. And, you know, I think that if, we, if we're in a postmodern age where people are expected to create their own reality, you know, right down to the point where they can decide what gender they are, they can decide absolutely everything, create your own religion, create your own worldview. The stress of that is enormous. Yeah. How can anyone possibly do that? And then you just have like 3 billion create competing worldviews yeah. that are curated off the internet. And, and that's, that's the madness right there because there's no, there's no pointer to what the hell is real. Yeah, I want to write a book on that as a teacher. I, I left teaching a couple of years ago to run, to run this nonprofit. And wow, the stories I could tell you about the kids because they knew it. They couldn't articulate it, but they were angry and they were, or you saw two types of kids, angry kids or kids filled with angst and a lot of drugs, both the kind uh, prescribed and the kind not. And you knew it. Well, no, no, not everybody knew it. You know, there's now a wellness movement in American schools because somebody's like, you know what? We're not really hitting this. This isn't a physical problem, but because of my experiences, I, I knew it. And then you know what I would do? I would speak right into that emptiness. Mm. You know, you can't say Christ in most American schools, but what you can do is you can share the experience of reality. And and what happens was is this, the, the kids love it. But here's the thing. It wasn't part of the curriculum. Mm. <laughs> so now what do you do? <laughs> Profitable enough, probably. Well, yeah. And what are they going to do with that? And now you're teaching this course. We taught a course, the history of love. And then what's, how does that help me? And then the saddest thing happened and I'll get off of this, but the saddest thing happened is that the kids began to say what their parents in the first 10 years of that, the parents would say, what's that for? The kids loved it. But by the time I left down, the kids were saying, what's this for? I really don't get it. Instead of just engaging. I mean, what teenager doesn't want to talk about the history of love? Like, give me a break. And but it fell apart. Really interesting. No structures. There are no structures to support any of this stuff for people now. So you know, even if people come across it, 
people are yeah. desperate for guidance i think you know why, yeah. why are people watching jordan peterson by the million i find that so interesting you know this this guy who's doing biblical lectures for hours on youtube is getting six million hits and why do so many people think he's a father figure whatever you think of what he says or doesn't say you know mm. he's the, the, the fact that people are going to people like that it's like here's a guy who can explain things and he looks like he has authority and yeah. i'm desperate for that and there are millions of people who are and then there are millions of other people who react against it you know yeah. but somebody like that saying those things 20 years ago probably would have just been unnoticed very standard stuff really mm -hmm. but the fact that people like him and there are others as well are becoming these huge cultural figures. It's because it seems to me because yeah, everybody's so lost. Where else are you going to go if you want if you want somebody to teach you what you think the truth is? The the structures if the structures are all being persistently broken down. Right. I mean, you know, if you if you've got a situation where your society is is being dismantled, which I think probably America is by the sound of it, and I think other Western countries are too but nothing's being put in their place. That's the real challenge, right? Because mm. it's not like it's not like you dethrone Christ and then you put Muhammad there or something. It's not, right. this is not what's happening. It's, it's you not can't put if, anything. You can't put anything. You can't put anything, but nothing's being put there. So if, 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 you, if you're being deconstructed by postmodernists, right, which we kind of all are now, yep. then there isn't any truth anyway. <laughs> you've, got, that, you've just got a million shards and everyone's growing up surrounded by these broken shards of what used to be a culture. But that's what I mean by you can't. Of course, someone will, but an individual themselves, if they assert right now, they get knocked down. And so they retreat and then they don't share their, their throne with other people because they know that it's just like a fairy tale, that they're just telling other people about their own fairy tale. And then what happens is, is everyone loses. I love this. When everyone has their own throne, I love your phraseology. When everyone has their own throne, then all thrones are equally stupid right because that's just yours and that's yours and that's yours it's a good way to look at it yeah and you can create your own throne and you can change it at will so there's no there's nothing there's nothing because there's there's no there's no center basically yeah no, so, that's how it seems so tell me about abby of misrule what what is that project how, tell us about how you got there yeah this is um i had this i wrote this book a couple of years ago called savage gods um which i wrote by accident um, and it was a book I started. I literally started writing a sentence and 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 then I followed it through and it turned into this short book, which was about, it's really, when I look back on it, it was a book of uh, that put my spiritual crisis into words. It's a sort of uh, midlife spiritual crisis wow. book. And it was about, it was about how writing, after, after 20 years of being a writer, writing was, I wasn't sure whether writing was meaningful. I didn't know whether words were actually helping or whether they were just obscuring things. I didn't know what the point was. And I'd moved to this small holding, bought a bit of land, and I wasn't sure if that was working either. I'm not in a practical sense, just in the sense of who the hell am I and what am I supposed to be doing here? So I wrote that book, and I, I sort of concluded at the end that the problem with writing is, is words. And so if you want to see truth, you have to stop writing, right? Because, because you can use your intellect as a kind of a, a gauze that you can't see God through, it turned out. It wasn't at all Christian, this book. I didn't think I was going to be Christian when I wrote this. So I actually stopped writing for a couple of years i didn't write anything really for 18 months i made a vow not to write for a year and i didn't um and then uh yeah and then all sorts of things happened and then i became christian and that seemed to be that seemed to be what the deal was i actually said to god right i'm not going to write for a year show me what the truth is and then and then along came christianity <laughs> you said that you remember saying that then, i said that look i'm gonna i'm gonna sac make a sacrifice really i'm gonna stop being a writer and i said look i'm quite happy to never write again i don't actually care um, I just want to know what the hell's going on and I want to I want to be shown what the way is. I did say that. It was like a prayer. 
and uh, and then yeah then i ended up a christian so that was another reason i thought it must be true wow um and i thought i didn't know if i'd write again but i've started writing a series of essays recently on substack which is a really nice little platform for writing um there's a very small fee for people to read all of them which means i can keep the trolls away which is very nice so you can have an intelligent conversation and i've got a really interesting bunch of people on there very interesting commenters who often know more than i do about what i'm writing about mm-hmm. yeah and what i'm really writing about is everything we talked about here for the last hour you know what's okay. the what's the root of the cultural collapse we're going through why is it happening what is this culture war but also much bigger than that you know what's the what's the long term uh cause of this why do we seem to be in being enveloped by this huge machine this huge techno capitalist beast which is governing every aspect of our lives what does that mean how do you resist it or live differently from it it's a kind of exploration really it's an open ended series of essays i'm writing that are not meant to come to a world saving conclusion but they are meant to create a community of people who uh are interested in working out what this is because i think we i really think we're living in a new radically new time actually and i think it's been building up for a long time but just in the last few years and especially with covid accelerating it it's become very clear what's going on you know this huge techno beast that is enveloping us and eating culture and not just in the west but everywhere else too yeah eating culture and nature and turning it into to profit and this you know this we're heading straight in the direction of artificial intelligence and uploading the mind and replacing humans with machines and it's almost like everyone's quite happy to talk about that openly now you know it's yeah. like The World Economic Forum is quite happy to put this stuff on its website you know, on the front page. It's not it's not a secret. It's a great reset and we will be merging we will be merging technology and biology and you know you saw it here first. There's, but, there's but no conspiracy theory required. I, I know. This is I keep telling people no guys I'm not a crazy but I'm telling you this is just published information. The, I know it's know. astonishing actually. It's astonishing to to see the sort of stuff that Klaus Fabris writing yeah on the front page of the World Economic Forum here's the fourth industrial revolution we're merging with our technology this is how it's going to be this is a great reset and you think look this is not Alex Jones talking right this is <laughs> this is the this is the World Economic Forum it's all official guys so just telling you but so some so some people don't laugh we're laughing we're deriding the great reset but mostly by saying what the heck how come more people aren't saying what the heck i, I don't get Like you don't have to be a Christian to say maybe we shouldn't implant things in robots. I mean, why 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 are I know. Why it's really is, it's a very interesting question, isn't it? And I often think that, you know, it's 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 like people have looked at it's like the people in power have looked at all of the sci-fi books and films that have been produced over the last century as dire warnings of where we could go and used them as an instruction manual. <laughs> you know, it really is. It's like have you not it's seen flipped. Terminator? Have you not seen the Matrix? Have you not read the Machine Stops? It's like they, they flip yeah, it. This, yeah, this was supposed to be a warning. This was supposed to be a warning. You weren't supposed to copy it. But yeah, that, that Orwell guy was not for that stuff. No, you know, in the Matrix, the agents are not the good guys. You yeah, know they're that? the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to be on the side of the Terminator. But but I mean, it, it really is. It's a it's the big question. It's one of the things I'm trying to write about in this series as well. It's like okay. Why are people so unquestioning about this? And it's one of the yeah. things I've been I've been nagging away at in my writing for a long time. And writers for the last several decades, really great writers like Ivan Illich or Jacques Ellul yeah. or E.F. Schumacher, you know, this is not something that hasn't been explored before. Great That's people right. have written at great length about technology and the technium and where this society was going to take us. The warnings mm-hmm. have been issued by mm-hmm. people much smarter than us for a long time and largely been disregarded. It's like we we read them and we go oh yeah that could be dangerous couldn't it yeah we nod along and then we go out and buy an alexa or, or we or, or you know we do i mean this is i'm i'm amazed that people will 
Oh, so I'm questioning about, say, the Internet of Things or smart houses or any of this stuff. It's like, okay, you just you bought an Alexa, you put it in your room, it's monitoring everything you say, and it's sending it back to Amazon, absolutely everything. And by the way, the same thing happens when any of us use the Internet, of course. The whole thing is a giant piece of surveillance technology. You're handing over all your information quite freely. Then you want to get, what, your fridge connected to the Internet, your electricity grid, yeah. you, want, you want microphones in your house. If the state tried to impose this on you, there would probably be a revolution, but you're happy to give it away for free, or we're happy to give it away for free all the time. It, and it bemuses me. But it, is, it is comfortable because um, we're all in it to some degree. You know, I use the internet and I try and do it safely, but I'm, I'm sure people would find out all sorts of stuff about me if they wanted to. We're all kind of, I, I know I don't have a smartphone, I won't have an Alexa, there's a load of stuff I won't do. But however, you know, you have to, I, I think it's really very important to keep yourself as far away from it as possible. But it's, it's impossible not to engage with it. If you take a long, let's take the long view. Sherard in the book I was telling you about in Rape of Man in Nature, what Sherard says is, and it's super fascinating, which is when you get the theology wrong, as you said earlier, which I love, you, you fundamentally get the anthropology wrong too. Because it's the anthropology in the Christian tradition, they're not separated. It's, it's the same concept, what God is, man is, and, and vice versa. So, but when you get that wrong, and with this, he, he identifies the scholastics in particular, but when you infuse human anthropology with a deep sense of ra- rationalism, in other words, they are rational at their core, first and foremost, then what happens is, is that rationalism allows you to tell a story, and we've been telling it for, I don't know how long now, 600 years, about our essence that actually now has made it impossible for us to do the asceticism that's demanded of us in the Christian anthropology of the fathers. Because when you understand yourself properly in relationship to God, then you know that asceticism is part of the practice toward divinity. But if there's no divinity, you can't go there. Therefore, asceticism is no longer necessary. So he unwinds it. And so if asceticism isn't necessary, it's telling you something about theology. And now you see that there's almost no way to understand asceticism as something positive. You can only understand it as something negative, And therefore, why would I embrace it? It's not comfortable. And there's no way out. And short of, there's grace in God, we all know this, but there's no institution, human institution, that gets you out. Mm. And it has to happen to you and, you know, in your book stack. It happened to me and Molly. And, 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 but we, it'd be good if we had institutions like the family teaching us this, but it's not in there. It's not in there to be had. Am I, do I, am I onto something? Or I think Sherrod is onto something for sure, 100%. Yeah, but maybe it's maybe it's maybe there are institutions. I mean, in theory, the church is supposed to be that institution, right? It is that, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. So, but I mean, also, I think in other parts of the world, those institutions are still stronger than they would be in America or or in Britain, which are quite broken. Um, but then also, like you know, there's lots of like we said earlier, there's lots of forms of toxic Christianity around which are not um, not actually doing that when they should be. Well, the heresy, right? That's well, yeah, question. whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a there's um. You know, just don't like my church, just set up your own. I mean, <laughs> it's the American way, right? I mean, there's Protestantism for you. It's like, I've got, I've got my own church. It's only got six people in it, but I've got a new theology. Um, yeah. we're, we're, we're all our own church. Who is it? You know, the, the notion that everyone in the West is now their own pope is, is I really like that. Yeah. It's pretty much exactly what we are. You know, we just yeah. invent our own stuff. But I mean, whatever, whatever, again, this isn't purely a Christian question either. It's, um, it's there. Yes, there have to be institutions that, that can 
often guide you to that and they and they will come actually um they will do I, I wrote an essay a while back on the abbey of misrule about spengler oswald spengler and his decline of the west which is a really interesting book written 100 years ago uh predicting pretty much everything that's now happening in really? the west yeah and he, he, he says look in in the early 21st century he's basically about civilizational cycles and he says you know civilizations have certain cycles of decline and fall and he's trying to invent his own formula for them and saying, look, you can look at everything from Rome to, to the Aztecs to various ancient cultures. And then you can look at ours and you can see that there's a, there's a certain cycle of flowering and then decline and then romanticism and classicism and then collapse. And, and he's saying look, the early, the early 21st century is when the West will collapse. Um, because wow. by this point, we will realize that we've hollowed out everything that we had. We'll have gone through, he says, even, even in the early 1800s, the, the collapse was beginning because what happens is you create a culture and then that hardens into a civilization. The civilization for a while creates glorious things like empires and great cathedrals and machinery. But even while that's happening, it's it's rotting from within because the culture that it was built on, which is the, the sense of the sacred, but also practical stuff like having a peasantry and having an artisan tradition and having actual stuff that comes up from the ground, that's all being hollowed out. Everybody gets shoved into giant cities. Then they all turn on each other. Then if the religion goes, which it usually does, then you've got nothing left except lots of people in cities fighting. And that's where you get to. But there's a stage that comes after that, which he calls the second religiousness, which is where people turn right. back to religion, right? They're not necessarily in the form that they found it before. So it's not like you go back and try to recreate Christendom or anything else. But mm -hmm. you say you realize that there's an utter meaninglessness at the heart of everything. Right. Um, and then people start to turn back to religion or forward to religion or look for ways of, of, of moving it. And I do wonder whether that's starting to happen, actually, or whether it will be the thing that happens in the next couple of generations, because people are going to, I mean, I see it everywhere. And, it, you know, a lot of people are looking at orthodoxy now, but also other faiths too. That's right. Um, that's you know, it's right. not, it's not, again, it's not a Christian thing. It's like so many people are searching for spiritual truth, not always finding it. That's what I was doing for a long time. But I think in young generations, people are going to do that more and more because they're just going to say, look, what the hell is the meaning of this? What is going on? What is the center? Obviously, the thing is that if, if, if you say that we dethroned Christ, we got rid of Christianity and Christendom, we replaced it with mammon. We replaced it with the myth of progress, right? The yeah. myth of material progress. Uh, and, and for a while that worked. You know, we were getting lots of good stuff all the time and generations were getting richer than the generations before. And we were relieving poverty and those things are real. And we had cars and planes and all sorts of stuff so we could look at the world around us and we could say yeah things are getting better in the material realm and so that's all that matters and the other stuff was just old superstition but now for younger generation things are not getting better in the west anyway yeah. getting worse right so people are like you say the people are despairing they can't afford a house where's the work the culture's gone people just feel like it's hollow so the myth of progress won't hold because it isn't delivering yeah and at that point i think people do start going well what you know, what's the big story here? What have we lost? What have we broken? Why, yeah. why is the, what's the mess? Progress didn't deliver. Why, why have we got to this point? Because if the story was true, we wouldn't be at this point, right? We'd be continuing to improve. Well, so maybe, yeah, maybe we end up with a second religiousness and we start going into that. And things get interesting at that point. Well, I know you were on um, Pajot's uh, podcast and this is where a lot of guys in his sort of orbit, I think we're one of them. This, I think you can't avoid. I think something's coming. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying it's evil. I don't know what it is, but it definitely involves some sort of divine practice of seeing something above yourself that everyone starts to agree on. That's not Christ. I think that's happening. I don't know what it looks like, but yeah, I like this. I, I I'll put the um, uh, 
name the book again, forgive me. Uh, it's The Decline of the West by Oswald Spengler, which is Spengler, it's a big book, right. but it's a famous book, but it's a very interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we'll 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 link to it and uh, let people make their own decisions. But I, I, I let's just put it this way: we've been an hour. Wow, that was a quick hour. Mm, I know we could talk for talk for another three. I, I really could because I heard something in when you were talking about capitalism there that I think about this all the time from our work in Africa and Guatemala with Mayans and all kinds of places. What 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 you realize is is that the ism is really important part of that word. Because Buddhism, Hinduism, there's an ism involved that demands a certain type of mind or a certain type of soul, really. And what I see in Africa now is that soul is being delivered, if you will. The, the mindset of the consumer that's necessary for the ism called capitalism mm. is being delivered. It's really been delivered already. And now that this generation is coming up um, and they may get wealthier, but they're going to follow the same arc. And then you, you wonder what happens, you know? Yeah, they're going to get wealthier and then lose everything that actually gave them meaning because that's yeah. what happened to us. That's right. <laughs> that's, yeah. where, that's where you're going to end up. Yeah. Don't end on that. End on one more thing and something positive. <laughs> well, you've got to come through that. I mean, that's where you end on, right? I mean, it's like having yeah. spent years and years and years saying, you know, what the hell do we do about the state we're in? And as you say, feeling sometimes tempted to sort of want to go back to things. Um, even if you do want to go back to things, they're not coming back. No. So you've got to go through it. So we're in, you know, and, and actually also if you're if you're Christian, you've got to have some faith as well. You know, this is happening for a reason. This is this is the this is the this is the story, right? Yeah. We don't really know what it is, but it's going on. So, you know, trust God, see what happens. Yeah. And, but you know, you've got to you just gotta to go to that, haven't you? It's like you say there's a actually I think the it's really interesting what you said earlier. It's worth thinking about that maybe the challenge is this is this letting go. Yeah. Actually, letting go of all the stuff that we might be attached to, but which isn't actually the real thing, yeah. and it is hard because you're brought up to think that that's the stuff, and you're attached to it for a good reason. Mm -hmm. That's you know, cultures matter, you know, your place matters, all sorts of stuff. So, but actually, at the heart of Christianity, as at the heart of Buddhism, and as at the heart of say Sufi Islam, whatever, it's always the letting go, isn't it? It's always the renunciation yeah. of the yeah. of the stuff. All of the traditions that I know. And my wife is Sikh, actually, comes from an Indian family, and uh, and she's, you know, the, the the gurus in Sikhism teach the same thing. You, you let go of all of this worldly stuff. That's the, It's almost like the first lesson, you know. And, and, and it's harder for us in the modern world because we've got so much stuff psychologically and materially. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, that's probably the work. That's the, that's, that's the spiritual test, you know, what can we let go of? I love that. It's, it's, it's the modern, it's the modern ascesis, you know, this is maybe this is the ascetic challenge for those of us living now, you know, we've got to yeah. let go of this. Yeah. I had a priest tell me right when I became Orthodox, he said, listen, you can trust whatever you want. And here you go. You're on a journey. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to believe, but I will tell you this. If you walk into some place where you're worshiping and they don't have an ascetic monkish nunish tradition, turn around and leave <laughs> because that tradition, like you're saying, that allows you to go through it. It allows you to, to bear the cross. That's what they're doing on various levels, and that's what we have to do. But, man, it's hard when you're raised against that that value. So, But your books are helping us, man. This was fantastic. I, can I count you as a friend in, in England? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I hope we'll actually meet in reality one day. That would be actually a so nice important. thing to do, wouldn't it? If we're ever allowed to do that again, that would be that would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got one last thing. This may or may not get on. Do you have like maybe eight more minutes? Mm, yeah. 
here's what it is. We call this thing of the Lido meter. I've seen it, this. I okay. know. I know what you're up to. Yeah. Can I ask you? Can I ask you for five questions? Yeah, go on. Let's, let's see how we do. <laughs> I can do it. Right. The only thing you got to do is give me a number and then remember your number because that's my problem right now. So, guys, Paul uh, Kings North on the Lido meter. Let's do it. Where are you, Paul? Are you very old world or very new world? This is science. Here we go. Uh, when you die, Paul, you won't really die like all the way. It's more like you'll be asleep waiting for some type of next world. Three is yes, no doubt. Two is probably true. One is probably not true. Zero is that's just dumb and not true at all. Okay, well, I'm going with three on that one. Three. The best way, number two, question two. The best way to get to know me or you, Paul, is to ask someone else about you. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? I wonder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um, what, what, remind me of the numbers. What's two? Three is that is so true. Two is eh, probably one, probably not. Zero is that's dumb. Uh, I'm proud. Mm, uh, maybe it's maybe it's two. Maybe two. I'll, I'll go with two. It's more like one point five. You can give it a one point five. Hey, listen, this is it's postmodern era, man. I'm giving it a one point five then, right? Okay. okay, will you write it down? Because I'll, I'll, I'll we'll remember. Bring it, yeah. <laughs> okay, one point five. Uh, number three. When I carry a picture of my friend or parent or loved one in my purse or wallet, I'm actually carrying that person around with me, like they are there, actually close to me in some way. Hmm. I'm probably saying one with that. One. Three, 1.5, and one. Here's your fourth question of five. Respect isn't earned. It is owed by you to others. Respect isn't earned. It's owed by you to others. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a two, probably. Probably true. Yeah. Two. Okay. Um, here's your last question. And it's, are your parents still with us? Uh, my mom is, but my dad isn't. Okay. I'll just read both variations on it. I hope and expect to take my parents in as they get older and have them live with me, live with me when uh, they get infirmed. Slash, I expect to live near my kids, even preferably in their house when I get old and infirmed. Hmm. Is that expect as in I think it will happen or expect as in I'd like it to happen? It should. That's a should question, value. Yeah, question. I would say that would be a three for me, actually. Three. Okay. So let's add it up. So you are not the Charlemagne, that you are not coming in full retro. You're you, okay, good. Right? You're not drinking from a goblet. But, oh, you just missed the villager. Very old world, very old world and in your bones. But hmm. 10.5 is a high suburban so you feel romantic about the old world, but hierarchy is a word that you would rather read about in a book. It feels like you should want to obey your elders a lot more than you actually do. And the individual is not more important than the group, except, well, sometimes you feel way more important than lots of the dumb groups you're in. So you are. That's the- a pretty, pretty good description. And I do actually come from the suburbs. So, you know, it's, um, I'm, I'm, completely, I'm totally okay. owning my suburbanness. Yeah, I'm a suburban man in a field. But there so, you have it. I'm, I'm approaching. I'm approaching villager status. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're pretty high up there. So I'm getting there. Give me another few years. Maybe I can shift it in that direction. We'll 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 call you back. <laughs> See uh, what I can do. You're a good sport, and um, 
you ever come to the States, if you're ever doing anything with your books here at PR, look us up because we've got a little network. We can we can help you with that. If, I know you got major. I make that happen, yeah. Yeah. We'd love to be involved with that, man. It's really been good. And um, Blessed Pentecost coming up to you. Mm, yes, my, my first one in the church, actually. So I'm looking forward to that. Wow. Get ready on your knees. They'll put you on your knees for, for a good 45 minutes to an hour there at the end of the day on Sunday. So I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thank, thank you. Paul. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Well, Shani Skagi Marjos to Paul, to you, to me. Well, no, you wouldn't, I wouldn't give it to myself. Shani Skagi Marjos. That means to you the victory. That's set at the super table, sometimes called the KP. That's a Georgian republic tradition that you guys got to do we just did one down in naples by the way that's where i am that's why i'm in a closet today i'm in a closet ish because some guys started drilling at the house where i'm staying and that was fun and exciting and also loud this is watar produced by andrew Schwark and daniel Pedernos and others you are a listener of Watar. Keep tuning in. We love you. When you tune in, you help us create momentum for the folks we aim to serve in various countries around the world. Hit us up with good reviews. Remember, we're small and growing. We're one of those cats. We're like a child, strong, but in need of nourishment so that we might grow into the men and the women we meant to always be. Nakvam dis, hasta luego, kambufo. Goodbye and peace out.